Welcome to Gurgle, a bite-sized podcast from the creators of Ad Nauseam. Looking to whet your appetite for the classics? Gurgle will tickle your taste buds and leave you wanting more. And now, from the Vomitorium, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, Ad Nauseam listener, to Gurgle. Gurgle, what is this? Gurgle, come on, Jeff. What are we doing here? Well, it's Gurgle with a V. Gurgle with a V, yes. First of all, and let's say that you are the avid classics fan. Yeah. You with me so far? So far, yeah. Okay, but maybe you don't have an hour to devote to the full smorgasbord of uh, classics consumption. That's right, you're on the go, you're schlepping stuff around. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, we have decided here at Ad Nauseam Headquarters, Vomitorium East, to provide you with... A huggable portion. <laughs> a huggable portion. That's right. Exactly. Something something quick on the go that maybe yeah, satisfies in the moment, um, right. but you, you got to get to your next thing. Your stomach's grumbling. Yes. You say, I'm tired of the fall de rall and the humdrum of life. Yeah. Entertain me. Give, give me something interesting and you know satisfying. Like get to the chorus. That's right. right? Exactly. Like the Snickers bar. Yeah. And, and that's what we're going to do. Yes. We're going to provide you with these little shorts. We're going to run uh, maybe 15 minutes maximum. They're going to be tight. Be tight. Yep. Digestible portions of a little bit of classics knowledge which you can consume really in any setting right and the the um, extension of the idea is also that um, these will be standalone correct episodes you do, you can you can you know you can gobble them up and be on your way and that and that's it yes um, but they will also um, uh, hopefully kind of connect to other larger episodes that we've done so if you want to use this as a jumping off point and right. go deeper you can do that too. Yeah, because look, we got a catalog now of uh, eighty-two different episodes. Yep. But who has the time necessarily to sit down and consume for an hour? Exactly. We've got your uh, solution here: the gurgle. The gurgle. But why? Why is it named that? Gurgle with a V. Well, gr- well because this the podcast, the, the the umbrella name is ad nauseum, ah. right? And so we the 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 um, you know eating is uh, right has been a kind of a thread, a theme throughout. Yeah, it's for classical gourmands. Yes. Right, so this is for like you get you feel that stomach rumbling. Right, you don't have time for the four course dinner. No, um, and this is for the the snack on the go. Yeah, you grab that huggable portion. Yep, gurgle. That's right. So, Dave, let's, let's dive into it. All right, let's so keep to, these promises. All right, so today we're going to introduce the Aeneid. Yes, the Aeneid. You say twelve books of. Latin hexameters. What are you going to do? Well, just the first eleven lines. Yep. And this is, um, I think, I think we've teased on on previous episodes. We are going to cover the Aeneid in um, the long form uh, format. Correct. Um, but this is a, a a teaser, a little bit of a knowledge to kind of to whet the appetite. Exactly. Yep. It's an appetizer. So the opening quote is from a fabulous scholar named Brooks Otis. This is the work Virgil, A Study in Civilized Poetry, an epoch-making book, 1964, from Oxford. And he says in chapter 6, page 215, The Aeneid seems at first sight something radically different from either the Eclogues or the Georgics. We can understand why the young Virgil, the Virgil of 42 BC, should have turned from his projected race Romani, all things Roman, to the soft and pleasing verse of the Eclogues. He was both too immature and too aware of Homer's unapproachable excellence to mm. undertake such a task at the time. Ah, so um, a, a fearsome thing that he's undertaking. Yes. Yes. So, um, yes, I mean, I would agree with that. He, this is radically different yes. from the, the Georgics and the Eclogues, even if the, the meter is the, 
is the is the same. The 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 sound, the music is the same. This is a radically different subject. Mm-hmm. We have no poetry from from uh, Virgil that was not written in hexameter. Right. So of course he could have written in many different meters, like Catullus, no doubt. He's a master of verse. We only have hexameter. Mm-hmm. And now we come right. He begins work on this in twenty nine B.C. He dies in nineteen. It's published posthumously. And now we come to perhaps the most famous lines in uh, Western lit. Yes. So um, before we get to those, I mean, maybe, uh, for the audience who might be new to this stuff, is so the character of Aeneas, yes, who shows up in Homer's uh, Iliad. He is a Trojan. That's right. Um, but he's connected to this larger story that he, um, along with uh, some of his his uh, followers, mm-hmm. are some of the very few tro- Trojans to escape the destruction of Troy. That's right. He's the nephew of King Priam, the yes. king of Troy. Right. And right. his name means Bronze Age guy. Yeah. Aeneas, Bronze Man. Bronze Man. Exactly. Bronzo. Yeah. We could call him. <laughs> <laughs> and so the um, the the Romans uh, kind of picked up this this kind of this loose thread mm-hmm. of, of legend from the Greeks and uh, this idea that Aeneas was was fated to come and to found a new Troy somewhere in the West. And so the Romans saw that and said, they, obviously, you're talking about us. Exactly. And so this had been uh, um, when by the time Virgil gets his hands on this story, that had long been part of the. Um, kind of the Roman kind of mythic idea of itself, right? Uh, uh, Virgil does not invent this story. Definitely right? not. In the same way that Homer didn't invent his story either. No. Um, and almost every line of Virgil can be traced to a corresponding line in Homer. Right. Almost Not not the ones that deal explicitly with Roman themes, right. be- because Homer wasn't talking about those, but there's so much borrowing, clever stealing, uh, recasting. It's incredible. The The precision of this poem is, is something that never ceases to amaze me. Yes, but right? that's, of course, for the long that's form. That's for the long form. That's right. for the long form. Let's, let's, let's do some Latin. Dave, I, I'm, I'm actually going to read some Latin. All right, let's yeah. hear it. I can't right. wait. I'm going to do the... Let me, let me do the first... Um, uh, let's, I'll do the first five lines, and then Excellent. you want to pick it up there? Sure. All right, so... Arma virumque cano, troiae qui primis sabores, italiam fato profugos la vinique venet, litera multi letteris Yactatus et alto, we superum saiwai memorum unonis abiram, multa quoque de balo pasostum condoret urbum. Infer redquedeos latiogenes unde latinum, albani que patresat qualtai monier romai, musa mehi causas memora quo numina laiso, quidve dolens regina deum tot vovere casus. Insignem pietate virum tot adira labores, impularet tantainan emis caelestibus irae. Yes, yes, beautiful, nicely yep. done, Winkle. So the perhaps the most famous opening in all of Western lit. Right, especially those first three words. Yes, right. arma virum quacano. Right, I sing of the arms and the man. Yes, so what is Virgil doing here? Well, it's well known to those who have even a smattering of knowledge that he is, in these opening words, he is citing the whole epic tradition, compressing it. Yes. Right? The Iliad, 24 books, the Odyssey, 24 books. He is going to compress all of that down into 12 books. Yes. The first six books are the Odysseic portion, the Wanderings, and the last six books, number 7 through 12, Iliadic. Right. War. War, exactly. So Arma. Yes. Uh, arms. I've never believed... I, that's usually what people say. It's, it's a, I don't like that translation, but you know, I, I sing of, of, of war and the man. Correct. Right. So the armor refers to the Iliad. That's right. And then the Wiram, the man, I mean, that corresponds directly to the very first word of the Odyssey, which is Andra. That's right. right. And so it's uh, for those in the know, people would know, ex- uh, they would know exactly what he's up to. Yes. Yep. He's going to talk about the Iliad and the Odyssey. So even though he starts out with these three words, Iliad, then Odyssey, Adama Verumque, 
that's not what he does in the rest of the book. Yes. And here are the Alexandrian influences, where you take some well-established genre and you pay it homage by tweaking it. Yes. You do something new and interesting to it. Exactly right. So that um, I, I think that that kind of gets down to is often I think how moderns um, were different in, in what we think um, is, origi- is original. Yes. Right. That notion of originality, uh, where for the for the ancients, is it's not so much. What's this brand new story I'm going to hear? It's, it's what is this author going to do with a story that I'm very uh, familiar with, mm-hmm. right? Yes, and one of the important themes of epic is migration and pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. And so here in the second line, Italiam fato profugus, he came to Italy. He was fato profugus, yes, a refugee from fate. Yes, this sounds the note right there of the misery that Aeneas is going to endure throughout the poem. Yes. He's right. driven by fate. Driven by fate. And I think, um, I could be off here, but I think it's significant that uh, Virgil mentions fate in the second line, and he waits until line eight to invoke the muse. That's right. Right. Whereas for, um, in Homer, in both the Iliad and the Odyssey, the, mu- the muse is right there, is referred to in the very first line. That's right. And so uh, maybe uh, Virgil is, is subtly saying something about the, the power of fate, you know, of destiny, the destiny, not just of Aeneas, but of, of, of Rome itself. Correct. Is, uh, casts a much larger shadow over his poem than any of that kind of notion of moira or fate is right. in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yes, and develop, to develop that theme a little bit, you know, the first line of the Iliad, menina edetha a, Yes. There's the goddess. A lot has changed from the time of the composition of the Iliad, say 780 BC. Mm-hmm. A lot has changed between then and first century BC, specifically Plato. Plato has changed. Pla- ah. Plato has forever changed the Western appropriation of the Greek gods. You, you can no longer celebrate the Homeric ethos without qualification. So between Homer and Virgil, you have Plato and the Stoics which is a, a highly philosophical and ethical mm. recasting of human life. Right. And I would say it's to Virgil's credit that he captures the Homeric spirit so brilliantly, given the time in which he lived when so much of it had died out. Yes, yes, exactly. That, that, I, that's, that's very well said. I think that uh, I, mean, I find myself often kind of falling into this trap when, when you compare kind of works of literature is that you know, the context almost becomes secondary. You're so focused on the language right. and the themes um, but without considering the chronology, and I think you're absolutely right that you know, stoicism and Platonism, um, you're right. It's a that's a marker. Exactly. It, it, there's kind of before Plato and there's after Plato. Right. Yeah. But the the genius of Virgil is that within that world he is he's able nevertheless, he's able, nevertheless to connect to, connect. to yes. Homer. Absolutely. So we go on to the third line: Litera multilater risiactatus et alto. Uh, this guy was. Um, I think the old translations much buffeted, much buffeted. <laughs> That's yes. the, the multum yactatus, yes, or much buffeted. Buffeted. Right? Well, there, there's the uh, there's the gurgle uh, there's tie in right there. Right? So he was beaten about in two places, right? At Terdris at Alto. Yes, right. So that's very. Um, I mean, it's very reminiscent of the opening lines of the Odyssey. Absolutely. Right? Polutropos. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, not just sea, though. Land, too. Yes. So that's also Achilles here. Right. Comes into play. Yeah. Uh, and what was the cause of all of this? What, what made it happen? It was, uh, it was the gods. Okay. And it was the, uh, in A.S. Klein's uh, translation, um, it was, it was, this was by the will of the gods, by cruel Juno's remorseless anger. Mm. Right. Yeah, I love this. We superum sawai memorem. Uh, those of you who are playing the home game, here in uh, line four, we have what's called a poetic genitive. We because do? Because we have superdrum, yes. the full form of which is superdrum. 
So quite often throughout the Aeneid, Virgil will syncopate, drop a syllable from that genitive plural. Because let's face it, genitive plurals, long and clumsy. Who needs all those syllables? You're going to take a nap halfway through. Exactly. Right, so right. Virgil drops him out. So <laughs> by the violence of the ones above and uh, cruel Juno's for, uh, wrathful anger. I can't hardly get the words out. Right. I'm so overcome. Right. So a couple things about Juno here. So, so Juno corresponds to the Greek Hera. And you know, if uh, if you're familiar with Greek mythology, I mean Hera often has to play this thankless role. Mm. So she's upset about about her husband's affairs, and so she'll often go after either the child, the product of the affair, or, or after the woman. Yep. And so here Juno's playing a particular role, but here it's much more tied to um, kind of Roman history. Yes. And so Juno is angry as we learn because she is she's wrapped up in the building of Carthage. That's right. right. She is the original wicked stepmother. Yes. The Noerca, right? Yes. Who's going to bring wrath and uh, all that on the Romans. But well, why why did he suffer all these things? Multa coquet bello passus. He suffered in war. It was for one particular reason, dum condorit urbem, until he could establish the city. Right. And so that's that, um, that the new Troy. That's right. right. Or that it doesn't. I mean, Aeneas is not the founder of, of Rome. That's no, a, that's another legend. That's Romulus. But he so he sows the seeds. He lays the foundation of, of what later would become Rome. Yes. Yeah. What are the other reasons that Virgil gives here for why uh, Aeneas had to suffer and wander so much and be beaten up by the gods? It's not just to found the city, but it's also he's got he brings his own gods. To that's La- right. To Latium, right? Yeah. And this is one of uh, Juno's main complaints. Why don't those beaten gods know they're beaten? Yes. They were destroyed at Troy, and now what? Uh, Aeneas is like the intern. He's schlepping the gods <laughs> yeah. uh, in the satchels all across the Mediterranean. Inferetque deos latio. Exactly. Right. Um, right. And, then, and to add to that, um, Aeneas is the, is the son of Venus. Correct. And there is a natural enmity between Juno and Venus between Hera and Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. And so there's that rivalry that's also at play. And it goes all the way back to, I guess, you can throw in Carl Jung here if you want to. Oh, I, I would love to. The wife and the beautiful daughter and the conflict there. Yes. More Freudian, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then, of course, the, the wedding of Peleus and Thetis. Mm-hmm. Now, later on in you know another gurgle, uh, we're going to look at some of the reasons why Juno was so angry. Yeah, but not today. Not today. Not today. We don't have time. We don't have time for that today. And then, like as I alluded to, um, you know, Juno has this connection with with Carthage, and as we we'll le- as we we learn in, in Book Four of the Aeneid, uh, we find the 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 roots of that um, enmity between Carthage and Rome. So, Dave, uh, summarize kind of the next couple of lines here, the, the lines six and seven in, in the in those openers. Right. So, uh, Virgil's telling us in this the proemium, the introduction. He had to found the city. He had to bring the gods into Latium. And from this would come three things. Uh, Genesunda Latinum would come uh, Latinum, the region of uh, the Latins, right? Also the Alban fathers. These mm. are the ancestors of Rome that lived around Alba Longa. And finally, the high walls of Rome, at qualtai moniar Romae. So that's where it's all going. It's all going to Rome. It's all going to Rome. Yes, and this is what Aeneas was going to do. He had to bring Rome into existence. Aeneas is driven by fate, and that fate is leading to the founding of, of the very civilization that, that Virgil is embedded in. Absolutely. Yep. Well, that's a gurgle, Jeff. Yeah, that's it. That's right. That's it. We so we, we read the first eleven lines. Yes, and we, we got through we got through about seven. Seven. But you know, sometimes you you go to the the shelf, you want a Twinkie, and all there is Mentos. Right? Yes. Yeah, so so you, you, you're not always going to get what you want. No, you get a box of Mentos, yeah. maybe. <laughs> 
but you really want a Twinkie. Yeah. But I mean, it's Virgil's fault. You know, why did he have to pack so much rich goodness it into is those fault. seven lines? We just couldn't help ourselves. That's right. But so, but we got we got to go. We got to wrap it up. Yep. So, so let's quickly uh, mention our sponsors. Yes, we got um, Ratio Coffee. Check them out. RatioCoffee.com. We have Hackett Publishing. H a c k e t t Publishing.com. Patronize them, please. And also the Moss Method. MossMethod.com for uh, for learning everything Greek. Yes, and Latin per diem. You can check that out too. So that's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a gurgle. We hope you enjoyed it.